have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 104. To get to Psalm 104, just turn about halfway in the middle. You should be in the Psalms and look for Psalm 104. Okay. So we're continuing our series tonight. Remember, our series is on the big questions. So we're continuing our series on the big questions. And the question we're looking at tonight is this. Hasn't science disproved Christianity? That's the big question. Hasn't science disproved Christianity? Now, if you haven't heard this yet, you probably will at some point. Maybe you'll hear it from a teacher. Maybe you'll hear it from a book. Maybe you'll hear it from a scientist. Maybe you'll hear it from a friend. Maybe you'll hear it from a classmate. Maybe you're going to hear it in school when you study things like evolution, right? We'll get this question at some point. Hasn't science disproved Christianity? So we're going to need to face this question at some point. So we're going to talk about how to talk about it tonight, how to think about this question. So let's dive in. I'm going to read for us all of Psalm 104. It's pretty lengthy, but bear with me, okay? This is Psalm 104. This is God's word. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chamber on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they might not again cover the earth. You make springs gush forth in the valleys, they flow between the hills. They give drinks to every beast of the field, the wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell, they sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains, the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun to know it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night, when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is the living and active word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the goodness of your creation. Thank you for what you have made that gives honor and glory to you. Would you help us as we think about how to think about the things that you've made? And would you guide us as we seek to know more and more about you? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so when we started tonight, we play the definition game, right? And it's really important to know definitions. 
right? If I said to somebody, I'm taking you to the Huskow, you might be like, before tonight, obviously, now you all know what that means. But if I said that before tonight, you you'd be like, I don't really know, right? But it means jail, so it's important to know the definition, right? Same thing, when we ask the question, hasn't science disproved Christianity? We actually need to start by defining what science is. That's going to be helpful. So, some people might say science, and they just mean, well, using common sense, right? Or figuring out what, what reason it says. But I want to go to the definition, the dictionary definition, Merriam-Webster, okay? Science is this. The knowledge or study of the natural world based on facts learned through experiences and observations, okay? What that means is the idea is this. I can do an experiment to figure out something about the natural world over here, and then I can do the same experiment over here, and I'll get the same answer, right? And that gives me some knowledge. Okay. Um, that's science. But there's another term that I need to define for us that's really going to help us out as we seek to understand this question. It's scientism, okay? We heard what science is. What's scientism? Uh, Ian Hutcherson, who's a nuclear scientist at MIT, who's a Christian, he's basically right, he wrote a book and he said, this is what scientism is. He doesn't believe in it, but he's describing it. Scientism says this, science is the only source of real knowledge. Okay, if, if you believe in scientism, right, then the only way we can know anything about anything is by science. The natural world is all there is, it's all there can be, that's the only way we can know. Okay, science is not the same thing as scientism. But it's important to have those two definitions before we get any farther. Okay, so with these two definitions in mind, we're looking at the question, hasn't science disproved Christianity? And to do that, to look at that question, we're going to look at four things. We're going to look at human history, human origins, humans and science, and human value. Okay, so we're going to start with human history. So, first, right, if, if Christianity is opposed to science, if science has disproved Christianity, when did it happen, right? When did it happen? Let's go back to the beginning, the very beginning of science. Well, science, as we saw, based on the definition, means you can actually figure things out using experiments in the natural world, right? If we believe in science, we believe you're able to study the natural world. Science wouldn't work if people thought that experiment in one place wouldn't work in the other, right? If gravity only worked in Dallas and didn't work in Fort Worth, right, science wouldn't work. We wouldn't be able to use that. So the first people that were scientists assumed that the world was ordered like this. It assumed, they assumed that, yeah, the same thing happens here and over here. Why did they assume that? Because actually the first scientists were Christians. Christianity was actually where science came from. So when we look at human history, science actually comes from Christianity. Uh, look at verses 19 and 27 of Psalm 104. Let me read them for us. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting, right? That God has created the world and created it with an order that we can figure out. Verse 27, these all look to you to give them their food in due season. So God has created the natural world, and there's an order he's made, and we can see and we can figure out that order. And many historians, many books have been written on this topic that science actually came from Christianity, right? To name just two of these, uh, there's a philosophy professor at Princeton. His name is Hans Halverson, and he's wrote about this a lot. There's another book called The Soul of Science, written by two people, Nancy Piercy and Charles Thaxton, where they talk about this idea that Christianity actually gave birth to science. And let me name a few scientists throughout history that were Christians, and you can see that is why this claim brings true. Uh, Robert Boyle. Has anybody heard of Boyle's Law in chemistry? Some of you people that have taken chemistry? Yeah. Robert Boyle was a Christian. Gregor Mendel. You may have heard of Gregor Mendel, the father of modern genetics. He was an Augustinian monk. Uh, George Lemaitre. I'm not a French pronunciation speaker, so that's going to, I know I butchered that, but 
He invented the idea for the Big Bang Theory, and he was actually a Roman Catholic priest. What's interesting is when he had the idea for the Big Bang Theory, atheists at the time said, that sounds too much like a God created things. We can't, we can't hold to that, right? But it was actually a Roman Catholic priest. Uh, Lord Kelvin, right? Anybody heard of the Kelvin temperature scale, the scale for absolute temperature? Yeah, he did that. He did a bunch of other things, and he was a Christian. Uh, another one, James Clerk Maxwell, one of Einstein's heroes, he was able to unify electricity, magnetism, and light. This was called the great second unification in physics. He was actually an elder in the Church of Scotland. He was a Christian, right? Here's a name you might not expect to see on this list, and that's the name Galileo. You might hear Galileo, and you might hear, oh, well, you know, this is science versus faith. Galileo believed, Galileo believed in science, and he was tortured by the Christian church because he believed in science. But that's not actually what happened, believe it or not. Galileo was a Christian, and so, as he was doing science, he published his results along with theological arguments. And actually, what got him in trouble was he was making theological arguments to the Catholic Church, right? And actually, the Catholic Church at that time wasn't doing things based on scriptures. There were other things they were actually assuming that weren't actually from the Bible, right? But he got in trouble, not because he was doing science, because he was talking about, the, he was basically trying to do theology against the Catholic Church, right? And they didn't torture him. All they did was they put him under house arrest, so you might hear that trotted out and say, Galileo, science versus faith. But actually, Galileo was a Christian. Something you might not hear, you might not know. So when we look at human history, we see that the history of science has a Christian foundation. So we know at least in the beginning, right, science couldn't disprove Christianity. But maybe you say, well, what about with evolution, right? What about with human origins? So that brings us to our second point tonight, human origins, right? Um, so maybe we think, okay, yeah, eventually science disproved Christianity because of evolution. Okay, just like science, we need a definition of what evolution is. That way we're on the same page, right? The word evolution just means change over time. But when we talk about it in relation to science, right, in science it refers to a theory that all life forms or different life forms change over time to adapt to their environment, okay? Uh, a guy named Charles Darwin first came up with the theory. But really, when it comes to evolution, we have to ask three questions. So bear with me. There are three questions when we ask this idea. Um, there's a man named John Collins who studied at MIT and now is an Old Testament professor. So he writes a lot about science and faith. He says, whenever we talk about evolution, whenever we talk about human origins, there are actually three questions we have to ask. And the first is this. How much evolution? You see, when people say, I believe in evolution, there's actually a huge sliding scale of what you mean by that. You could say, yeah, I believe that, you know, variety changes into species, right? Or you can mean at the higher levels of order, this can turn into this, can turn into that over long and long periods of time. So there's actually a sliding scale of even what you mean by evolution, right? Is it macroevolution, the biggest things, long-term change, or is it micro, small, within species, right? So there's different ideas of that scale. Second, there's also the scale of asking the question, how much was God involved in the process? Right? Was there, on one hand, no God? On the one hand, was God there supernaturally intending the whole process, but not really intervening? Or was God in there all the time doing things that wouldn't have normally happened naturally? Right? That's another question we have to ask. So how much evolution? How much was God involved? And then also, how much of God can we see in the process? Should we be able to, be able to figure that out scientifically or not? Right? And it's a tricky thing. There are these sliding scales, and actually, Christians will find themselves on different places on these scales just how much evolution, right, and those type of things. So you might be saying, okay, well, can you still believe in evolution and be a Christian, right? And that's when we've got to think about those sliding scales. Uh, think about it like this. 
what must we believe to be able to hold science and Christianity? Well, if we look back at Psalm 104, there's a few verses that help us with that. This is verse 5. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. Verses 8 through 10. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. Verse 14, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. So what do you have to believe? You have to believe that God did create the world, right? And that he is the one who is preserving and sustaining the world even now. And there are other things, things like Adam and Eve having to be a real person, that Genesis 3 was a real event. Those are other things, right? Um, Actually, if you think about it, what's really interesting is sometimes people look at evolution and they say, well, Christians have just responded to evolution with new theories about Genesis 1 and 2. And, you know, before that, everybody saw Genesis 1 and 2 as, you know, six literal days. And after evolution, people had to figure things out. That's actually not the case. There have been Christians in history who have questioned how we interpret Genesis 1 and 2. Was it 24 hours a day, six days? Or was it long periods of time? So actually, before even the question of evolution, Christians have talked about this part of the Bible anyway. You might be interested to know that our denomination, the PCA, actually wrote a study, had a study committee get, get together and write a paper about this. They were able to say, hey, here are things that you need to believe, and here's how we can fit these pieces together. And they actually gave four different views that they said, hey, these are slightly different views about human origins and about Genesis 1 and 2, but these are views that you can all believe, right, and can still be a Christian. And so I hold to one of those four views. And if you want, get, want to get more into the weeds of the, what the four views are and how they fit together and how they interpret the Bible, I'd love to do that over coffee. Right? I don't have time to do all that right now. But just know this, that certain Christians are in different places on certain parts. But here's the thing. What we have to have is God being the creator and having done it and done it specially, right? And having Adam and Eve be real historical people. But just the presence of some type of evolution, some, something on that scale, right, doesn't mean that you aren't a Christian. Doesn't mean it's incompatible with Christianity. But what would be is if you said there was no God involved, right? It was all evolution, no God was involved, so we can't see God being involved, right? That's the, that's the extreme end of the scale. But just to say, you know, scientific theory doesn't mean you have to go to that end of the scale. All right. So just the presence of some type of evolution isn't incompatible with the Christian faith, right? And we talk about evolution on a small scale. We talk about microevolution, right? And we can talk about how we interpret Genesis 1 and 2. There's no contradiction there. So science doesn't require that. But what's interesting is this. Science doesn't require that macroevolution, no God sort of thing. But what does is scientism. Remember that definition I gave before? If science is all there is, right? If science is all there is, and you're trying to explain how things came into being, you have to say there was no God Everything came about naturally, right? Science doesn't require that you say that. Hear me say this. Science doesn't require you say that, but that scientism, that all-encompassing belief, actually does. So, science doesn't require that we say there was no God in creation. In fact, if we look at science and human origins, we actually see some clues. We see some evidence for God, which is pretty amazing. So there's a man named Francis Collins. I'm going to tell you more about him in a, in a minute. He's a scientist. But he put it this way. He said this. When you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. Hey, listen up, guys. It looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants. The gravitational constant, various constants about the strong and weak nuclear forces. All of these have precise values. 
if any one of these constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases by one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would have been no galaxy, stars, planets, or people. So what we're saying is when we actually look at some of these things in science, we see that the universe is really specifically finely tuned for us to be here. Some, some people talk about miracles, right? And they think about, okay, well, miracles disprove science, or you know, science can disprove miracles, those sorts of things. But think about it this way. Just the fact that you and I are here in this room itself is a miracle, right? The miracle of birth, the miracle of life, that we live day after day, right? That's a little M miracle. Think about the sun coming up day after day like we heard, right? The grass growing, God providing food. All of those are miraculous. Now, there are big M miracles like Moses parting the Red Sea and you know, Jesus feeding 5,000 people, things that don't normally happen in nature. But the fact that nature works the, day, the way it was, that does it to begin with actually shows us the miraculous God behind it all. Uh, a man named Tim Parsons, who's a nuclear physicist, a biomedical engineer, a computer scientist, and a Christian, he works for the U.S. government, he said, we live in miracles. Science should engender awe because it points us to something bigger. So from human origins, we actually don't see science as disproving faith. Quite the opposite, actually. We get some evidence and some clues there. So then we might say, okay, well, that, that makes sense. But when I see a lot of scientists, I don't see a lot of Christians now. So, so what gives? That brings up our third point, humans and science, right? Now we saw that there were Christians in science. I listed all those people earlier. We would be glad to know there still are a lot of Christians involved in science. Dr. Francis Collins, who I just quoted, he head up what was called the Human Genome Project, trying to sequence all of human DNA. He worked for the National Institute of Health for 12 years. He wrote a book called The Language of God, all about science and faith. Dr. Joan Centrella is the Deputy Director of Astrophysics at NASA. She's a Christian. Dr. Dom D'Agostino, who works in molecular pharmacology. If you don't know a thing about molecular pharmacology, I didn't, right? But what he actually did is he did groundbreaking research on the keto diet to actually help apply it to different medical things that were going on. And there are many more that I don't have time to mention, but I've actually sprinkled some of them throughout the rest of this tonight. There are many Christians who are scientists at the top of their fields right now. But you might say this, well, there are a lot of atheists who are scientists, so what, how do we explain that, right? Does looking at more and more science make you more and more an atheist? No, actually, quite, actually something different. Think about it this way. If you believe that science is all there is, if you believe in scientism, what else are you going to do with your life other than science? So, for example, if I believed that running, right, if I believed that exercise was the only way to be healthy, who cares about what you eat, right, who cares about how much sleep you get, if I thought that exercising was the only way to live a healthy life, you would see me at the gym all the time, right? Now, you might be at the gym thinking that, yeah, you know, exercise is good, but it's a part of a healthy lifestyle, right? But if I believed that exercise was the only way to help my body, that's all I would do. And there are people who believe that the only knowledge we can have is through science, and so that's what they do with their lives. They study science, right? But it doesn't mean you have to believe that to study science. So when we look at humans in science, we see that science doesn't require you to not be a Christian. We actually see Christians at the top of their field. Actually, <clears throat> You know, we see that there are people that believe in scientism, and that's why they're doing science in the first place. Now, I've talked a lot about scientism, right? And that's what's incompatible with Christianity. But why is it incompatible? And so it brings us to our fourth point, and that's human value. You see, we need something more than science can explain. Because science can't really explain to us human value. 
right? Science describes us as a bag of cells. Uh, Stephen Hawking put it this way, the brain is simply a computer, and that computer's eventually gonna stop working when we die. But if that's the case, how do we know what's right? How do we know what's wrong? Where do those ideas come from? Well, the most that scientism can say is, well, these have been evolutionary adaptations, and so that's why you think this is right and this is wrong, but it's just an adaptation, which doesn't mean it actually is or isn't, right? There's a lot of violence in the animal kingdom. You can't really say that's necessarily wrong or right, only if it helps the overall process, right? And yet, when we think about that, that's not satisfying for us because all of us, our souls cry out for something more, something more than we can see. All of us know deeply that there is a right and a wrong. There's an ultimate purpose behind our lives. Dr. Bill Newsom is a neuroscientist at Stanford, and he asks the question this way. He says this, do we live in a universe where our highest values and intuitions about ethical behavior are in touch with the central reality of the universe and the reason the universe was built from the beginning? Or are our highest values and ethical intuitions kind of a joke, an accident? They really have nothing to do with what the universe is about. And if you believe that science is all there is, all you can say is, yeah, these ethical intuitions, human value, just kind of a joke, just kind of an accident. There's nothing to do with you know, the universe itself and the way we were created. Now, Dr. Rebecca McLaughlin talks about that, that quote about uh, you know, the brain being a computer, and she says this, I mean, if my computer falls out the window, I could get another one, I could replace it. But if my son falls out the window, right, very different. Right? Because one of these is a human being made in God's image. They have value. Right? And science can't get it. On, us, on its own, science can't get us to that value. So science hasn't disproved Christianity. Actually, far from it. We've seen that looking at history, science began because of Christians. Looking at human origins, we actually see how amazing God is. And it's a miracle we're here in the first place. When we look at humans in science, we see there are Christians at the top of their field. And we see that scientism, just science itself, can't explain human value. And you see, science and faith don't contradict. This is the main point. Science and faith don't contradict. But scientism, the idea that science is all there is, the only knowledge we can have, that contradicts with faith. But the thing is, scientism is a belief in the same way that Christianity is a belief. And so you have two belief systems. But you see, one of these is better. And that's the Christian faith, because as I said before, our lives cry out for purpose, cry out for meaning. And more than this, we all cry out for a savior. We all cry out for somebody to help us when we don't live up to what we morally, ethically ought to do. We don't do what's right. We often do what's wrong. We need a savior. And the amazing thing is this savior has come miraculously. Jesus, God himself, the one who the Bible says, through whom everything was made. Jesus was there at creation, right? He not only created everything, but he came and died for us. He came to give us life. And God showed his ultimate control, ultimate power over what he's made, and that God raised Jesus from the dead. And he showed not only that, his power over creation, but also his love for you and his love for me and the value that we have. And that's a value that just science on its own, scientism can't even touch. But the beauty is, in God, in Christ, we can see the value we have. We can see the beauty of God's creation. And we can study it and study it well. So science has not disproved Christianity. Christianity and science actually go hand in hand. Okay, so that was a lot. What questions do you have about this question or anything I've talked about? Jackson. Jackson.
What is the explanation for uh, monkeys being the only creature that evolved to us? Why, why are like lions evolving into giants? So I don't know that because I haven't <laughs> done it. I don't you know study evolution for a living. Um, but I think it's it's. When, when they talk about that, they talk about previous ancestors. They weren't necessarily like this monkey that you see today, right? Um, it's just based on DNA evidence and things like that. So, yeah. That, yeah, I don't have a good answer for that one. Uh, yeah. Do you know if they ever had, like, uh, like the bodies of the disciples when they died? Like, did they bury them? Uh, good question. I don't know. I think there might be people who might say they have them, right? But I don't know for a fact if, if any of them did. It's not recorded anywhere in the Bible that, you know, this is where this disciple is buried. Question? Yeah. Okay. Other questions about science and faith and the things we talked about? Human history, human origins, humans and science, human value. All right, well, seeing none, let me pray for us. And then we'll stand up and sing one more song. So let me pray. Father, thank you for this amazing, beautiful world that you've created. Lord, help us to see you reflected in it and give praise and glory to you. Lord, would we also be lights to reflect your glory, to bear your image as we're meant to do, as you created us to do. By your spirit, Lord, would you help us to do this more and more. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus. Thank you for his love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.